If you are just joining us, or if you're here for the first time in a while, we are wrapping up a four-week series on prayer. What we know is as Christians, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you know you should pray. And for many of you, you probably know you should pray more and be just saying that. Uh, or how about this scripture, pray without ceasing. Apostle Paul, right? And, and when we say that, you know, and that probably brings up some feelings of guilt because you know you're, the level of where what you experience in prayer isn't what is available to you or what you could be experiencing. But we've also talked about that should isn't a very good motivator. We know that, right? Kids know, I told you so is not a very good motivator. And so we've been looking at some of the questions that can kind of keep us from praying. One of those questions that rolls around is, is the question of if God is sovereign, why pray? I mean, if God knows everything and he you know, controls or he's, you know, allows things, why, why pray? What does it even matter, right? Or how about if God wants people to be saved, why am I called to pray about that? I mean, why doesn't he just do it, right? Or why pray for protection? Why didn't God just protect? And it was fascinating. Actually, we did this little survey um, two weeks ago. And if you missed that talk, I encourage you to, to go back and catch up on our podcast. But um, we did this little survey, and I was actually quite surprised because I asked how many of you had experienced something like this. I told the crazy story of my dad, um, like seeing a big screen TV and being asked to pray for a guy, and it was a crazy situation. And I asked how many of you have experienced something like that where you've just felt a strong burden to pray, and then you found out later that there was something really significant going on in that situation or that person's life. And about 80, 90% of you raised your hands. That's amazing. In fact, I asked you to email me some stories, and only one of you did. That's not a very good ratio, okay? Uh, <clears throat> so I'm not that hard to find. Tim at lifegj.org. And uh, you can send me an email. I'd love to, to hear some of your stories, uh, if you've got some stories about that. Because uh, I love having stories from people that I know, not personally, not just you know, in some missionary book somewhere. So on some level, we have a lot of people have this disconnect when it comes to prayer. Because you know you should do it. Um, you know, most of us have prayed for protection for people, and yet we don't pray so many times, too many times we don't pray like prayer is really as powerful as we see in Scripture. Now, I got kind of a fun story, because uh, I've been telling you some fun stories about prayer, uh, to get us rolling here with what we're talking about today. Um, my wife, Elizabeth, right out of high school, she went off to missions, to some missions training, a school, and then uh, for missions, so she left for six months and ended up coming back four and a half years later. And she was over in Cyprus in the Middle East and uh, doing missions work over there. Well, during that time, you know, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, they sent her off and, you know, we're praying for her and all this. And during that time, while she was over there, you know, she was meeting all these people from all over because it was a mission space where there were, you know, people from all over the world coming together and, you know, singles and and all that. And so they started getting letters from this French guy. And this guy started sending them letters. And my mother-in-law went, "Uh uh-oh, my daughter's going to like marry some French guy and I'm never going to see her again. She's not going to move off to the other side of the world. And so she decided, I'm going to, you know, I don't know, maybe a little selfish, but I'm going to start praying that she actually meets somebody from the U.S. (laughs) And so... Um, so she does. She starts praying 
that she's going to, you know, meet somebody from the U.S. And, uh, and then she thinks, well, if God can answer that prayer, I think I'm going to get a little bit more specific. You know, I think, I think I'm going to pray that she meets somebody from Colorado. And it was like, no, actually, from Grand Junction. <laughs> yeah. And she tells Elizabeth this um, over the phone. Elizabeth just laughs, right? Because she's over there in Cyprus hanging out with all her Frenchy, Frenchy kind of guys, you know. And <laughs> she's all, you know, into uh, exotic. And well, long story short, sometime later, uh, my wife decides she's going to come back to the U.S. for a while, get some further training before she goes back onto the mission field. And uh, she comes back, and the next day happens to come to this young adult service. And uh, I walk up to her and say, bonjour. <laughs> what your name is? No, actually, um, yeah, and the rest, as they say, the rest is history, right? And so prayer can be powerful, right? I mean, my wife, you know, was shocked, actually, and she never thought it would happen, but my mother-in-law had faith. She prayed for it. And, you know, now Elizabeth stuck with me. So I don't know <laughs> what to say about all that. You know, being the pastor's wife wasn't in her long-term plan. But, uh, yeah, so we'll just move on from there. Here's the thing. Here's what we've been seeing in this series when it comes to prayer, when it comes to some of the why behind prayer. You know, from the beginning of creation, God has chosen to, to work in this world through human beings. So much so that when he chose to, to move to redeem us, he came through the incarnation, what we're celebrating as we enter this, this season, this Advent season. He came as a human being into this world, right? He's chosen, this just the way God has structured it since he created humankind in his image. So that's one of the things we've seen when it comes to prayer about one of the whys behind prayer is God has chosen to partner with human beings to accomplish what he wants to in this world. And prayer is one of the primary means that God uses in this world to bring about his ends. We see in the New Testament that, that prayer is powerful and effective. In fact, James says this, right? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is one of the scriptures we've been referencing all throughout this series. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We've been seeing that prayer is God's invitation for you to step in and powerfully influence lives. That he has given you the ability and the invitation through prayer to influence any life that you want to. That's powerful. I mean, that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, isn't it? But through prayer, he has given you the invitation. You can step in and influence somebody for Jesus, towards Jesus, by prayer. Sam Storms, um, who's a, a pastor and an author, he, he says this, and I think it's so profound. We've shared this quote a couple weeks ago, but I wanted to share it again because I think it's just something we, that needs to sink into our hearts. When it comes to prayer and God using prayer as one of the primary means of accomplishing his ends in this world, here's what he said, that we must never presume that God will grant us, apart from prayer, what he has ordained to grant us only by means of prayer. 
Do you get that? Let me, let me read that one more time. We must never presume that God will grant us apart from prayer what he has ordained to do grant us only by means of prayer. In other words, there's things that God um, desires to happen in this world. We looked at a couple weeks ago the difference between God's sovereign purposes in this world and a, a different word for his will in the Greek that refers to his heart desires. And there's heart desires of God that he has ordained to happen through the means of his people praying. There's things that he desires for your life that you won't experience unless you pray for them. I think that's powerful. It's something we need to remember when it comes to prayer. And so what I want to do as we close out this series is just to ask this question. If prayer is so powerful, if prayer is so important, if prayer has the ability to really change the course of events, could there be obstacles to my prayers and your prayers being powerful and effective? Could there be obstacles to my prayers and your prayers being heard or being answered by God? I think it's a good question to ask because in the Old Testament, you see this pattern. In Second Chronicles, God speaks this to a people that are wandering from him. Here's what God says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. And see, in, in the Old Testament, God's will and desire, the heart desire to heal the, the, the land of Israel is directly linked to his people turning to him in prayer and repentance. Turning their hearts back to God, turning their actions back to God, away from idolatry, away from all the things that pull them away and walking in his ways. And the two are directly related. So what about us in the New Testament? What about us that live in, in the New Covenant? New Testament, New Covenant literally mean the same thing. We know through Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that, that when it comes to um, being in right relationship with God, you have a righteousness Big theological word here uh, coming, just warning you, that's called imputed. That means he gives you freely the gift of being in good and right standing before God, right? And yet, are there things that can get between your relationship with him and your prayer life and the effectiveness of your prayer life? Um, James says this, and we've been kind of glossing over this on purpose because I knew we were going to come to it here. But I, I want to point out on the scripture that we've been referencing throughout this whole series that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person. So is James just meaning um, positionally you've put your faith in Jesus and so now you're righteous? I think if you actually, if you go and read the whole book of James in context, you'll see that's probably... There's something more to it when it comes to living your life in a righteous way before God. And so, for us, what are the obstacles to our prayer being powerful, effective, to God hearing and answering our prayer? I think it's an important question. So what we're going to do today and the rest of our time together is we're going to look at five obstacles to powerful, effective prayer. 
And oftentimes, here at Life Community, we preach through whole books of the Bible, and oftentimes we take one chunk of Scripture and we really break it down and dig into it. Um, I'm, in this series, we've been all over the map. And so uh, if you are a note-taker type person, uh, there's always a spot in the back of the bulletin, which is found by both back doors, uh, or to take notes. Uh, there's a pen somewhere close to you. You might want to jot down some of these Scripture references and these five obstacles to powerful, effective prayer. And so... The first one is this, self-focus, self-focus. See, Jesus teaches us about prayer. And he teaches us, his disciples, there was something about the way Jesus prayed. And one of the most notable things about Jesus, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, we preached all the way through 50-some weeks through the Gospel of Luke, and as you go through his life, you just can't help but notice how many times Luke tells us that he went off alone and spent chunks of time in prayer. And that's really profound, isn't it? The God-man, Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, the person who is filled and anointed, the Holy Spirit descends on him, remains on him, a closer walk with the Father, an intimate relationship with the Father than any other human ever to live. And yet he prays in significant chunks on a regular basis. I think that's really profound and should inform our lives and our Christian walk, shouldn't it? There must have been something so profound about the way Jesus prayed and that relationship that he showed with his father that the disciples look at him and they say, teach us to pray. (laughs) You're amazing. We want to be able to pray like you. Teach us how to pray. And so Jesus does, and he starts like this, Matthew 6, verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, dot, 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 right? And probably you grew up, you know this by heart, you're probably you know, quoting the rest of it in your head right now. Just pause. We'll come back to that a little later. Because before you get too far, I just want to illustrate what Jesus is doing here. And when it comes to this topic of the obstacles to prayer, this self-focused thing is one of the biggest obstacles. And so right off the bat, Jesus, in this model of prayer, and this is a great prayer to pray, um, you know, verbatim as it's written, if you don't just do it as sort of a, a rote thing, but if you do it actually prayerfully, considering the words you're praying, it's a great thing. I've been doing that all year, and it's a powerful thing. But it's honestly more of a model of prayer. It's like, hey, when you pray, this is a good model. And you start out by recognizing, man, that God has invited you to address him as Father, as Father. And don't, I know that's hard for some of you because you had very poor examples of fathers, but he is your perfect Loving Heavenly Father. Perfect in all your ways, like we we sang in that song just a little while ago. A good Father. And so he invites you to address him as Father. But so, so you don't think like somehow, so disrespect doesn't enter into the picture. Holy or hallowed, holy is your name. You are so set apart. You are so other than, I can't even hardly comprehend it. You invite me to relate to you as Father and yet, You are so other than. You are God. 
You are sovereign. You are the one who's in control. Our Father in heaven, holy, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Lord, this is about your will, your agenda, your kingdom, the things you want to be doing on this earth. Your will be done. Lord, the heart, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, your heart desires. The thalema, Greek, of God. The heart desires the will of God. Your will be done on this earth, Lord, as it is perfectly done in heaven. Lord, would you allow this earth, people to start walking in your ways on this earth? And then what did he get to? The part we like, the part we normally start with, right? Gimme, 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 gimme part, right? Come on, you like that part. I do too. Oh, Lord. In fact, normally that's how we start prayer, isn't it, so often? Good morning, Lord. Just checking in. Now here's my list, you know? Could you do this, 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 this? Thanks. I'll catch you later. He says, before you get to the me part, why don't you center yourself on who he is and the fact that it's all about his agenda. It's all about his will. He is holy. He is awesome. This is all about this. This this thing that we're part of is all about him. And, And guess what? It's for your benefit. We say this often. Life is for you, not about you. It's for your benefit. It's for your joy. It's for your enjoyment. But Ultimately, it's, it's about God. Life is about him. We're here to serve him, right? And so you center yourself on him before you ever get to the give us, the gimme part, right? The part we like, the gimme my, my request part. You center your will on him. And that's one of the most powerful things about prayer is as you spend time in prayer, it centers your heart on who God is and on his agenda and on his purposes. And consequently, the prayers you pray will be in line with his will. That's the powerful thing about it. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us this a little bit earlier than that other scripture we looked at. He says, there's times when you're gonna pray and you're going to do it with the wrong motives. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So number one, you're not asking God for the things you need. Number three, when you ask, or verse three, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, God's not against pleasure. Um, God created turkeys (laughs) and pumpkin right? God's not against pleasure and other things, but there's children in the room. Um, God's not against that. He's for joy. He's for joy. But there's a certain selfishness and selfish pleasures, and you know the difference in your life. When it becomes about you, and it becomes about more, and it becomes about things you don't need, right? He says, here's the deal. Many of you um, the reason you're not getting what you want or what you ask for is because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're asking for the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Um, I've been a pastor a long time and I've never heard a testimony from one of you of coming up and just telling me how God let you win mega millions. I just prayed and I had faith and boom, God allowed me to. Now, if you do, tithe, okay? I'm just gonna lay that out there. If you do, tithe. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, I've never heard that. It's, it seems like God, it's not a, a prayer God's um, 
too likely to answer, and I know some of you have prayed that prayer. I, I have never yet, other than from a TV evangelist, heard a prayer answered for an upgrade to a new jet. And that's, don't get me started on that whole other thing, right? I, I don't know why. I mean, it's just like, yeah, none of you have come up and said, man, I just prayed for that new citation, that model, because my current one just doesn't go fast enough. I mean, seriously. And boom, God gave it to you, right? I've, I've just never heard that. Curious enough. See, he's, James says, you ask, you have not because you ask for the wrong reasons. Jesus said this in, in John. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. To which you say, thank you. Lamborghini, in Jesus' name. Is that what Jesus is saying here? No. See, oftentimes, we, we honestly, oftentimes in prayer, we use in Jesus' name as kind of a tagline thinking it's some sort of a magical phrase in order to get whatever we want when we pray. Now, hopefully if you've been coming here, you don't think that because we talk about this often, right? But in our culture in general, that's kind of one of the things people think, or at least in practice, that's kind of how they use this thing, isn't it? Lord, would you just do this, do this, do this in Jesus' name? And see, when you pray in Jesus' name, it's not just a tagline, like you know, a closing tagline for your prayer. What it really is is saying, it, it, Jesus is here representing the Father, right? He said, I only, see, I only do what I see my Father doing. So he is the perfect representation of the Father. Jesus ascends to heaven with all authority and does what? Sends us out to do what? Represent him. And so when you pray in his name, it's praying according to what he desires to be done, what he wants to accomplish in this world. Under the auspices of his authority. And he says, guess what? Those are prayers I want to answer. He goes on. In fact, John, the same guy that wrote this, he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. I mean, they had a really close relationship. Towards the very end of his life, after writing this, he writes the letter of 1 John. I think he brings even a little more clarity to this. He, he says this in 1 John 5.14. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to what? His will, he hears us. See, there's this thing in Scripture, it's called context, right? And too many times people grab one verse, one phrase, rip it out of context, and try to get it to mean something that when you look at the whole counsel of Scripture, it's like, okay, wait, there's more to this story, isn't there? There's context. you got to understand the context. And so the first thing that can be a real major obstacle in you praying powerful, effective prayers is if you are self-focused. If you are focused on your agenda, your, your desires apart from what God's purpose and plan is. But if you can align your heart with what he is already doing in this world and what he wants to accomplish, man, that's a game changer. Number one, Self-focus. Number two, faithlessness. Faithlessness. The author of Hebrews says this when it comes to faith. When it comes to faith, he says, but without faith, it is impossible 
to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So without faith, it's impossible to please God because those who come to him first must believe that he ex- he's, exists, he's, he's there. And then there's an element that you gotta believe that in his goodness, that he wants to be sought, that he can be found. He says that in other parts of the scriptures. And that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. That when you seek God, you can find him and he moves. And see, there's these two sides of faith. Here's here's the one side. Uh, James says this also. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. So he promises if you need wisdom, he will give it. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And see, with faith, there's been these two competing ideas, two errors on either side of the equation that you can go to. And one we talk about frequently here is when it comes to faith, too many people treat faith kind of like the force in Star Wars, that if you can just, you know, figure out how to manipulate faith, right, tap into faith, like faith is some sort of power, and if you can get, tap into it just right, man, you can accomplish or do anything you want. Like somehow God is a genie, and if you just, you know, rub the genie thing the right way, Thank you, lamp. I should know that because the Aladdin, like my kids are singing, the new Aladdin, you know, they're just singing these songs all the time, right? Um, But all I can think of is the old Christina Aguilera song running through my head, you know, and I'm not going to sing that for you guys. So so somehow, you know, if you can just manipulate or faith it enough or, or somehow banish all doubt, then you will, you know, God will be sort of obligated to give you that jet upgrade that you've been really praying for, right? That's an error when it comes to faith. The other side of it, though, and this is an error that I think, especially in churches like ours that place such a high value on Scripture and digging into Scripture, we can have the tendency to err the other side, which is basically faithlessness, which is understanding that somehow we're not twisting God's arm, and so we err on the side of basically, in practice, when we come to him, basically not believing that he is actually going to show up and do anything. And that's a major error. Because the author of Hebrews says, hey, if you, if you want to please God, you've got to actually show up before him believing that he's there, that he's alive, that he's active, that he's moving in our lives. And faithlessness can be a major thing. In fact, um, at one point, Jesus asks the apostles to do something that they couldn't like, even wrap their minds around. In fact, we'll get to it in a minute. And they, it just blows their mind. And so in Luke chapter 17, they go, well, I don't know about that, Jesus. So increase our faith. Increase our faith. And Jesus says this. He said, um, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, what's Jesus saying? It's not the volume of faith. It's not the size of the faith. It's the willingness to act on the the fact that God is who he says he is 
that he will do what he's promised to do, that he's promised to give you wisdom in the situation. Pray for it and then act on it, right? He's promised his presence that he will never leave you or forsake you. He's promised you in a in temptation, a way out of that temptation. He's promised you the Holy Spirit. He's promised you grace and mercy in your time of need. And you can trust and rely on that. And it's not like a great faith. You kind of have to work up. You just need enough faith to take the next step and obey. And so in prayer, faithlessness can be a major obstacle to your prayers being powerful and effective. Number three is this, lack of perseverance. Lack of perseverance. Too many people, I think, in their prayer life miss out on what God is doing because they just give up too soon. They pray once or twice, or maybe three or four times, and then just quit. Maybe that describes you in a season or in a situation in your life. That there's something that was really on your heart, maybe a loved one who you wanted to see God work in their life, but man, you just quit. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. And I think I like the New Living because I think it really conveys what's at the heart of the original Greek language in there. And it's the idea of keep on asking, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. In fact, a while later, Jesus tells this parable. We looked at it as we were preaching through Luke to illustrate that you should pray and never give up. And he tells the story about this persistent widow who just won't quit bugging this judge, right? Until she receives the justice due her. And he makes up this elaborate story and the reason is to encourage us to pray with perseverance. Pray with perseverance. Paul says this in Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So number three is a lack of perseverance in our lives. Number four is this, the way we treat others. The way we treat others. Jesus did this one thing in one of his most famous sermons. He says this, and it was so profound and so, I mean, we've, you've read it probably. If you grew up in church, you've heard it. But what you don't always understand is how shocking this would have been in the culture. Jesus says this in Matthew 5. He's talking about, to Jewish people who understand this, every year they would come, they would offer sacrifices at the temple so they could be right with God. And for a Jewish person, this was the highest and holiest thing they could do. I mean, we don't really have a frame of reference for this because we're so casual about everything. Um, you know, I mean, we, we understand, we, we take the Lord's Supper or communion, that's a holy thing that we do, and there's reverence involved there, but, but it doesn't even, I, I think in our culture, come close to what they would have experienced around this whole offering of sacrifices thing to a Jewish person. And here's what Jesus says. He says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, 
So you're at the very altar. This is the thing where you get right with God. This is the place where, you know, once a year you have to come, you have to offer your sacrifice for sin so that you can, you, you can know for this period of time that's covered over, you know, until Jesus comes and offers the ultimate sacrifice for sin. But once a year, you can know, okay, I, whew, I'm okay with God for a while. I'm, I'm right with God. High hope and holy moment for a Jewish person. And Jesus goes, you got that? That moment? And everybody goes, yeah, we get that. And then he says this, if you're there at the altar offering your, your, your sacrifice and you remember a brother or sister has something against you, you did something that you know offended a brother or sister, wronged a brother or sister, he says this, leave your gift there in front of the altar. What, Jesus? Yeah, just walk away, leave it. But I got to get right with God. Yeah, I know. I know. Here's how you do that first. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come, offer your gift. This is the importance Jesus places on the way that we treat one another. The biggest way you can communicate your love for God is to treat his other kids the way he's called you to. You know this if you're a parent, right? The biggest way somebody else can be kind to you and love you is to treat your kids well. Somebody mistreats your kids, doesn't matter if they're the coolest person in the world to you. There's going to be some words going down, right? the way you treat other people. In fact, another spot in John, Jesus says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. This is one of those scriptures we remind you of multiple times every year, hopefully, if we're doing our job right. By this, you know, not just by church attendance and all that. I mean, that's great. It's important. But Jesus says, by, you want to know what the real litmus test is of if you're following me well? It's going to come out in the way you treat your brothers and sisters. Paul says this, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And see, in your prayer life, when it comes to offering prayers to God, your requests to God, one of the biggest things that you can do in your prayer life, is make sure your relationships are right with other people. In fact, Peter tells us, husbands, the way you treat your wives, if, if you don't treat your wives well with respect, it will hinder your prayers. And Paul says here, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with, other, with everyone. And for some of you, you have things that you know there's more steps to be taken in making things right. There's steps that you keep resisting. Some of you, you, you feel like, honestly, before God, you can say, you know what? In that relationship, man, I have done everything I can do. And about all that's left for me to do at this point is a couple times a year, shoot out a text message and say, hey, love you, still thinking about you, to a family member or friend, you know, hope you're doing good. But really, the ball's in their court. I, Paul gets that. 
He knows there's times where you, where you do everything you do and other person has free will. God has to move their heart to turn back and resolve and reconcile the relationship, right? But he says, as far as it depends on you, have you, as you search your heart, have you done everything you can do to repair that relationship, to make right the things that you've wronged? Because we all have a piece of the pie, right? There's always a slice. Your slice may be really tiny. It wasn't on Thanksgiving, was it? Um, real pie. I'm talking metaphorically now of a different pie, but your, your slice of the pie in a broken relationship may be real small. But you always have a slice. You got to own your own slice, right? So the way you treat others is one of the biggest obstacles in your prayers being powerful, effective, heard, and answered. And the fifth one, the last one is this, unforgiveness and unconfessed sin. Unforgiveness and unconfessed sin. Do you see what I did there? It's actually six, but <laughs> preachers are tricky that way. You got to watch us. Unforgiveness and unconfessed sin. And here's, just, here's how important this is. Here's how important this whole forgiveness thing is. Remember where we left off in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, in your head, you're finishing it off, right? With, with one of the, the close, which is a great close, you know, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, Amen. But actually in the Matthew version, he goes right on to explain this, why this is so important. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. That's how important this is. That's heavy. That's heavy, isn't it? So forgiveness is is vital. Letting somebody else off the hook. You realize, if if you're a follower of Jesus, your sins, past, present, and future, God lets you off the hook for them. Not that there's not consequences, but he's forgiven. You still have to ask for forgiveness. We'll see that in a minute. But he's given you forgiveness. And when you hold bitterness and unforgiveness against someone else, you hold yourself back. But beyond that, it's an insult to your heavenly father that gave his only son so that you could be forgiven. That's how important this forgiveness thing is. So forgiveness and then unconfessed sin. David says this in Psalm 66. If I had cherished sin in my heart, or the New Living says, if I have not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And when you hang on to that thing that you know the Holy Spirit just keeps talking to you about and you keep shoving that, that voice of, of God away saying, I don't want to deal with that. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm, I'm not going to deal with that. I, I know, but I'm not going to deal with that. Guess what? It hinders your prayers. It hinders your, it breaks relationship with God. It puts an obstacle between you and your intimacy with God. Some of you have experienced that in a season of your life where you couldn't really even go pray 
Because every time you did, all that God wanted to talk about, and this is an important point, because when you pray, you need to leave time for God to talk. Too oftentimes you just talk. That can be an obstacle too, right? But all God wanted to talk about is this thing, and you didn't want to talk about this thing. And so you just quit praying for a month or for years. Unconfessed sin. James tells us even this in the scripture we've been looking at all along. Um, this is the rest of that verse that we've been quoting. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And confession isn't, confession involves, you know, bringing things into the light. And some of you, you need a trusted person in your life. You can just get some things off of your chest. Have somebody who can pray with you in a situation. You need to seek that out. Others, you just need to confess before God. And confession isn't just acknowledging you're wrong. It is that, but it's, it's a remorse over it. You all, if you've had children, you know the difference between I'm sorry and remorse, right? And confession involves a remorse of saying, God, I'm so sorry. And I want to change and not go back this way. And the beautiful thing is what he says, this is the promise in 1 John 1.8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's a beautiful thing for someone, both someone who's not yet placed their faith and trust in Jesus. That is the hope available to you. That he came to die to, for you to pay for those sins. And if you confess and say, Lord, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I need your forgiveness. I want to live for you. You can experience eternal life in him. Forgiveness. But it's also a beautiful thing for those of you that trusted Jesus at a very young age, but you've allowed some things to break in between your intimacy with God. And you have the opportunity to say, I want to, I'm so sorry. Take this. I want to restore that intimacy. I want my prayers to be powerful and effective. And so, you struggling with one of these today? Self-focus, faithlessness, lack of perseverance, the way you treat others, unforgiveness, unconfessed sin. You got something that's holding you back, something that's become an obstacle between you and God, something that is causing a break in your prayer life. So I want to encourage you in just a moment here to do business with God, to take some time and confess those things, to maybe make a commitment to send that text that you know you need to send, or even better, pick up the phone and call somebody, to make it right, to find that trusted person that you have in your life and say, hey, man, I just need to get this thing off my chest and I need somebody to walk through this with me. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, communion here, and celebrate this incredible promise that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. This new covenant that was instituted, and Winston's gonna come back up here and lead us 
But what we celebrate in Jesus is this incredible freedom, forgiveness, and life. Normally, we take communion here once a month, and we do it at the beginning of service when all the kids are in here with us. But I just really felt in preparation this week that we needed to close with this. Because some of you, communion is one of the best times where you can search your heart and say, Lord, I want to make this right. And let me just encourage you. Would you really prayerfully seek the Lord during this time? Ask him, is there something that's been holding me back when it comes between you and me? Is there an obstacle to my prayers that needs to be dealt with?